You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. Well, I was invited to speak tonight, one of the reasons of which is because I make bread. Um, and we're going to be talking about the parable of the leaven tonight. Um, I didn't make bread, but I did make you all Play-Doh. So... Like Allie, um, I believe that when we're listening, you know, we're often a little fidgety, and I think we need something that's tactile to kind of engage all of our senses and, and to help us settle. So with that in mind, um, it's, it's dough. It is flour and salt and cream of tartar and water um, and a little bit of food coloring. So just take a pinch, a small ball, just to have in your hands with you while you listen. Pass it around. And I have slides that I hope, ah, oh, this is working now. Okay. All right. So um, I remember the, the first time, I think, that I, I really remember making bread um, from scratch, you know, uh, was when I was in college. So I was uh, staying up late with a friend, and we were studying, and he decided that we each needed to make a loaf of bread. Um, his thinking was that the time that it was going to take to watch the bread rise, it has to go through two rising processes, and um, and then to bake was you know about the time that we had sort of dedicated to studying. Uh, and and he felt that having this activity was going to help us to kind of focus and break up the time and the monotony of of studying. So. Um, Making bread like this was a really transformative experience for me. I'd grown up with a a home cook. My mom made dinner from scratch every night, and so I knew how to cook. I knew what the kitchen was like. Um, And I'm sure I'd made plenty of cupcakes and cookies, but but making a loaf of bread was was still kind of new to me. Um, And participating in this fundamental creative act was just really revelatory. I, I really hadn't understood the process before. Um, I remember I chose a, a recipe for Portuguese sweet bread. It's a, a slightly dense, sweet, eggy loaf. Um, it's really good, fresh out of the oven with a lot of butter and jam. Um, and since then, I have been baking nonstop. I mean, I've made hundreds of loaves of bread and dinner rolls and whatnot. And right before the pandemic, my stepfather had given me um, a sourdough starter. So I was part of that bandwagon of of home bakers and sourdough aficionados through the pandemic. I'm not sure if my my, uh, sourdough starter is still um, fresh and alive, but uh, other things have gotten in the way. So um, we, we hear about this, this parable of the leaven um, predominantly in, in two places, Matthew 13, uh, verse 33, and Luke 13, 20 to 21. In Luke, it reads, again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. So learning how to combine a few key staple ingredients, knead them together, and then see them create this airy, crusty, basic of our human sustenance is no small miracle. And the source of this miracle is is yeast that gets activated by water and and sugar. 
which then activates a complex process of metabolism or fermentation um, that creates this amazing gas, carbon dioxide, that flavors uh, the bread um, and, and creates these air bubbles that make bread fluffy and easier to eat. Without this, this cultivated process, um, bread is really heavy and dense and, and difficult to, to eat. I think that our, our teeth have been happier ever since we've um, learned how to leaven bread. In Matthew's version of these teachings, we first hear someone ask why Jesus teaches in parables, to which he answers, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He goes on to reference the prophecy of Isaiah, who says, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding you will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Through this, he implores people to hear and see, listening intently to allow for his healing power. So I want us to pause here just for a minute and consider what this means for us today. Isaiah's prophecy was a long time ago, so is Jesus speaking to the disciples but I think we also still have a hard time hearing and seeing. We tend to like things to be spelled out to us in very black and white terms, and much of our lives you know, really um, is, is not understood in this kind of way. So I like to, to think about the tools that can help us um, to really listen to, to what, is this, what is in this short parable that's quite mysterious and has a lot to offer. So there's a process called Lectio Divinia, um, where it's a process of reading the scripture, meditating on the imagery and the narrative, contemplating on the meaning and relevance, and praying with God about how we can take the, the meaning and message into our lives um, and, and into an active engagement. I've practiced this, uh, this process with visual imagery, um, inspired artwork and imagery, and I've talked about it um, in a few places. So while I continue to speak on this parable, I want us to all use this process as a way to enter into this very brief but really uh, loaded passage. I want us to explore its edges and depth. I have a few images that I'll try and keep moving, uh, remembering to move along. Sometimes this thing doesn't work well, so if it doesn't move, I'll, I'll have to signal Josh to help me out. Um, Matthew's version is very similar to Luke's. It reads, um, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. So just take that in for a minute. First of all, we have this grand idea of the kingdom of heaven. What's it like? We have yeast, a woman, 60 pounds of flour, and finally the working of the dough. So many of us grew up with biblical images, not unlike this one. Glowing light, a gate that we're supposed to approach, God somewhere up in the clouds, sort of a saccharine kind of image, right? And it, and it feels so distanced. So I don't want to stay on this image for too long because I think that the parable is really asking us to pull into something a little bit more grounded and earthy and present. 
It pulls us into a daily experience of a woman making bread at the hearth. This is not my image, um, but it is from Taos Pueblo. My daughter and I went out there a couple of years ago, and um, the bread ovens are sacred and central to the culture. Uh, they sit right in the middle of the village, um, and, and uh, I, I think they sort of deserve this center of attention. I think uh, when you live close to the earth and, and to the source of your food, you recognize just how sacred of a, of a right this is to, to make food and to um, enjoy something as, as special as bread. So um, I want us to then, you know, turn to the image of the yeast. The image on the left is a microscopic uh, image of yeast. Um, on the right, that's my sourdough starter at one point when I was feeding it. So yeast is a fungi. It's a microorganism, single-celled organism. Uh, it's found all around us. It's in the air that we breathe. It's on the skin of fruits and vegetables. It's in the soil. It's even in our own gut and microbiome. Yeast used for bread is one of the oldest cultivated substances. It goes back to thousands of years. Uh, you know, archaeologists have turned up vessels in ancient Egypt and Israel going back to 4000 BC. Yeasts that act on flour and water, similar to what we do with sourdough, um, have been the most common kind of usage. People have figured out ways of pulling it out of the air and cultivating it and making use of it. So my starter is simply um, water and flour. Feeding it is just adding water and flour, but you go through this long process of letting it develop in the right conditions on your kitchen counter over weeks to actually create the the, the yeast culture in there. Mine was handed on to me, which is a very common practice as well. To, you, you end up, when you feed it regularly, you end up with an abundance of sourdough starter. Um, and so it's, it's nice to pass it along because you can't make enough bread in, in most of our daily lives. Um, commercial yeasts weren't produced until the late 1800s. They were actually rolled out here at the Centennial Exposition of 1876, right here in Philadelphia, by Charles Fleischmann. And Fleischmann's name is the most common name on packets of yeast at the, at the grocery store. Um, so, like I said, it, it's something that's been cultivated on countertops and in kitchens for thousands of years. Um, carbohydrates uh, are, you know, activate this, this process. They're the, the sugar that the yeast feeds on, and they produce carbon dioxide. So it's, it's sort of a process of magic, pulling something out of the air and having it turn into this rich, bubbly, energetic form that can then turn into bread. But this is where magic and science go hand in hand. So all of this is catalyzed through water. It's a simple chemical process. Um, and, and it has taken our life uh, beyond hunting and gathering practices. So I want to pause on that for a minute, too. So living in houses with heart and home, that's enabled us, uh, that was enabled by food production that required less energy and movement to find. We could settle into villages when we could make food and bring it uh, to, this, to this format. 
And I just want to say, women have behind, been behind this work for thousands of years. Now, um, yeast has many, many purposes, um, including fermenting beer and wine. Making these products has also been done for millennia um, and has, has been seen as a part of the miracle of the natural world and human ingenuity. Many of the best beers were cultivated by monks. Um, it's, a, it's a process, you know, the alcohol, the fermentation process is also a cleansing process. It can um, kill bacteria. It's a real potent form. And so in, in some cultures, drinking beer was preferred over water when you couldn't clean your water system. Um, but metaphors of goodness, abundance, growth, and productivity surround wine and beer and civilizations in similar ways that we talk about bread, although we also revel in the intoxicating effects of alcohol. And while this is an exciting and euphoric aspect um, that incites people to loosen their inhibitions, relax, laugh, and experience joy, we also know that there can be a quick slide into the downside of such things as well. And I pause to just say, too, that yeast can be overworked in sourdough starters, creating an acidic environment um, that can just completely deteriorate the proteins in flours. So just to, as quickly as it can uh, be building the proteins and structure of bread, it can also deteriorate when you're not taking care of it and, and having it over-ferment. So we can ki kill our sourdough starter and over-ferment a, a loaf of bread. So we really have to take care of this, uh, this culture. We have to find the optimal conditions and care for it regularly. Too much yeast, overworking it or neglecting it um, can lead to to really negative results. So next in the parable, uh, we hear about the woman mixing the dough. Specifically, we hear that she mixes this small amount of yeast into 60 pounds of flour. It's a lot of flour. We typically buy a bag of about five pounds, and, and because I've been baking so much bread, I can buy 10 pounds and, and go through that pretty quickly. But 60 pounds is a lot of flour. So in the recent history of biblical scholarship and commentary, women in the Bible have, have often been perceived as evil or having ill intent. And sometimes yeast is seen that way as well. I think that this is rooted in the misogynist patriarchal culture that has really pervaded Western civilization for far too long. In much of the commentary, though, uh, related to these parables, we, we hear uh, the church fathers seeing this woman as wise and deeply invested in Jesus' project to spread goodness in the world. Augustine writes, or the leaven signifies love because it causes activity and fermentation. By the woman, he means wisdom. So he goes on uh, to reflect that heart, mind, and soul are also incorporated uh, implicitly in the teaching of this parable um, by the, the recognition of three things, woman, flower, and leaven. And in some translations, they also refer to um, three measures of yeast being put into the flour. Oh, it's outside. <laughs> So I just want to recognize that I, I think there is this, this, um, this real recognition of a woman's work and, and her power uh, in this simple parable. 
But let's think about 60 pounds of flour. It's another mysterious metaphor intended for us to, to ponder. Some may consider that this amount is simply a reference to the fact that a small amount of yeast can have a large impact. It will infiltrate the flour and, and turn it into this miraculous substance. It might just take time and, and warmth um, and kneading, like actually physically kneading it. It doesn't take much activation to create a dough that is bubbling with energy and, and ready to create that, that goodness in the loaf of bread. And here's my dough after the first rise uh, just yesterday. So while this is a good interpretation and, and certainly deserves a lot of attention, after all, uh, this parable comes right on the heels of the parable of the mustard seed, where we learn that a small amount of faith can be planted and grow into a really large tree. However, I think that with deeper reading into this part of the parable, we might hear something more profound. It's not lost on me that talking about a woman in the Bible is somewhat radical to begin with. And talking about her acting out of her agency in a way that supports faith is quite subversive. Further, seeing her engage in a process that will obviously go beyond her own home and into the larger community. 60 pounds of flour is going to make a lot of bread. Shows us that Jesus really cared about the way that women were going to be essential agents in building the church. Last summer, my family and I uh, traveled to Italy. We snuck out when COVID was fairly safe. Um, specifically, we spent a fair amount of time in Rome. Um, though it's the cradle of patriarchal Christianity, um, you can sift through the layers of Rome and find so much more. I'm an artist and an art therapist, and it's been... Uh, on my radar for so long to really spend time um, going through some of those layers. There's so much art uh, in the city of Rome and so many stories that, that go beyond the Vatican. And even in the Vatican, there's a lot more stories to be told. So one of the first churches that we walked into in the neighborhood where we were staying was dedicated to peace and to the women of the church. This church that I uh, sought out in Trastevere is a church founded by Saint Cecilia, a woman. Uh, in the early days of the church, uh, she landed in Rome and um, covertly held meetings. Um, this is the current medieval structure, uh, but when you wander through, again, you just find all of the layers of how the church has evolved from her simple home dwelling where she invited people in against the judgment of the community and the larger church and, and the larger government structures. Uh, she was the church. She created the church right there, and it still, still stands. So while many people continue to push the narrative that women are corrupting influences in the church and the wider world, here's another example of Jesus turning to this seemingly simple act of making the daily bread and pushing this act to show how the kingdom is built. This story is one of action and love. And I think baking bread is too. The tactile part of making bread relates to how our bodies need to be invested in our faith experience, while the inherent wisdom of cultivating yeast 
for making bread suggest the practical ways that we use our minds. There's a brilliance that people have found in looking around the world and finding the yeast in the air to, to create bread. There's no need to get too heady in the process of sorting out Jesus' mission and teaching. Just look around, think about the magic and the science, put it together. I spend my days as a psychotherapist trying to move people from thinking about their experiences and their feelings and moving them into experiencing their lives as they live them in their bodies each day. I think we spend too much time in our heads and not as much time in our hearts and in our bodies. We're creatures who have become too smart for our own good. We think we can think our way out of our struggles and our challenges. Rather than honoring the inborn signal system that is carried in our bodies, our bodies need to move to express and to integrate our experiences. And we have physical sensations that help us to understand our emotional experiences and our deep needs. When we don't pay attention to these signals, we make ourselves sick. Anxiety and depression are on the rise in significant ways even after the pandemic. And before the pandemic, we knew that we were experiencing a mental health crisis. Individually and collectively, we deny the messages of alarm and distress, refusing to talk about fear, loss, and loneliness. Grief is not a problem to be solved, but it's an expression of deep love that gets lost and needs more love in order to feel the solace. Finally, in this story, we hear, I think, that love is a key ingredient. Love is connection, kindness, consideration, and making the things of daily existence that sustain us. Love is not a finite resource, and in fact, love grows like yeast when activated and cared for. When I was in grad school to become a therapist, one of my professors in a family therapy course said that um, every parent has favorite children. He just said that as something that we just needed to know. And as a middle child in my family, I really wanted to to believe that. I felt like that's true to my experience. However, I did not want to buy into that narrative when I became a mother. And I can tell you, 21 years down the road, it's not true. I have two beautiful children. (laughs) She is 21. Tell me about it. So, um, you know, it's true that there are moments with each of them that they're annoying and that, you know, there are persistent behaviors that I wish would go away, seeing, seeing things as, you know, undesirable. Um, but I love each of them without faltering. My heart was big enough to find a relationship with each of them without needing to compare them to each other or make assumptions. And in fact, in loving them as a family, We welcomed in so many other kids and families into our home and into our lives. It's been a great pleasure to watch basketball playoffs with our daughter and a handful of her longtime friends in New York in a bar, (laughs) they were 21, um, this spring. Uh, and, And it was great to relate to them in a new way, not just as the 
watchful parent, but to, to really um, see them grow into the young people that they are. And I think our cells are like this too. My heart grows every time I let myself be vulnerable to a group of people who I haven't known for very long and don't necessarily run into in my neighborhood or daily life. Love grows like yeast when it's cared for. I think we all laughed at the number of homebound hobbies that people engaged in when the pandemic struck. It's still sort of a set of memes out there, right? Yeast and flour sales were out the roof by, the, by April of 2020. Shelves were often bare in the baking aisle. But it makes so much sense to me. When our busy and overly fraught lives came to a halt, we needed and longed for something that grounded us, something that was satisfying, like baking and gardening and making things with our hands. We wanted to make things that mattered and that we could share. So making and sharing delicious food with our friends and our family, even when it was outside and across the way, these are really important things that helped us feel real again and feel connected. Like making bread while studying, we need these tactile and sensory things like kneading bread and watching patiently while it builds its structure and grows into something edible. I think our faith is like that too. It's grounding, it's moving in us even when we can't see it. It's tactile, it's sensory, and it's all around us. We just need to find it and cultivate it. So that's the result of the, the dough from last night. Got turned into pizza on the grill. All right. So that's what I've got. And we've got a few minutes for talk back. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhope.net.